Good morning, everybody. So glad. I wish I could see all of your faces, but it's okay. Um, I just kind of get a sense that I don't know if it's the mask mandate coming back on, or maybe it's been a tough week, but I kind of sense in the room that we're not quite sure about what we're supposed to be about this morning. And I'm, I'm like jumping right down immediately this morning. But I, I don't know about you, but I, I just want to get something clear really fast. That God is the best thing to happen to the universe because he's the one that created it. Right? God is the best thing that we can spend our life doing. God is the best thing that we can put our life on. God is the only thing that will save us from a virus, from politicians, from tyranny, from the Taliban. It doesn't matter what it is. God is your answer. Amen? There we go. Now we're getting there. Right? I just felt like we weren't quite there yet. Maybe I wasn't either. I love you guys. We're here to worship. Amen? You can talk back. It's cool. It helps, actually. We are here to worship God. We are not here to do church. We are not here to go through the motions. We are not here to sit in the right seats. We are not here just to sing a few songs. We are here to glorify God and say, we are here because of you. We are here for you. And we need to be living for you. I just want to make sure we're on the same page before we dig into this. I'm glad you're here. I don't want to come across angry. I'm not angry. I'm excited. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I just hope that uh, you guys are with me. So there's this guy named Richard Rescorla. This was many, many years ago. And Richard Rescorla uh, worked in an office building. And uh, he was the security director of uh, this big investment firm, this investment company. And so what his job was as security director is he was, his whole role was to protect 2,500 employees that worked in this building. That was his role. He was to protect all 2,500 people that worked for this company. And so Richard Rescorla arrived at work that day thinking it was going to be a normal day. But the problem was that this was not going to be a normal day. This day was the 11th of September, 2001. The employees that he was in charge of protecting worked in the World Trade Center in New York City. Richard Rescorla was in the tower, the second tower, when the plane hit the tower right next to them. Immediately, Richard Rescorla knew what he needed to do. He needed to get all 2,500 people out of the World Trade Center Tower as fast as possible. If you can imagine 2,500 people trying to get down a set of stairs or elevators all at the same time, this was quite a task. But he sprang into action, and he started doing this right away. And just as he got 2,500 employees down the stairs to safety, he began to make his way down. 
But it was at that moment that the second plane hit the tower right where he was. Richard Rescorla lost his life, but not before saving 2,500 others. Powerful, right? Now the question I have for you is, why do we get inspired by those kinds of stories? Why, in we, when we hear that, we both feel sad, and we also are like, man, I need to be like Richard Rescorla, right? Why are we kind of sad, but we're also inspired and like, I want to do that. I want to matter. I think that maybe the answer to why we are so inspired and so drawn to those stories my suggestion is this. I think we're drawn to that because God created you for something greater than you. For something bigger than you. To help other people in amazing and powerful ways. So here we are. We're in the middle of this. Well, we're actually past the middle of this series called Different for a Change. Very simply, we are talking about 12 things that we should consider, things that we should think about doing differently in our life that will change our life and, let's be honest, can also have the impact to change everyone's life around us. So for three weeks, we've talked about priorities, but to be honest, that was kind of the warm-up for this three weeks. If you thought the last three weeks were intense, now we're going to get real. I think we've hammered on some priorities. I mean, really, I have felt it too. But now, these three weeks, we're going to hit some of the most important stuff that God wants us to know. And so today's phrase, a phrase that my dad wrote down a few months ago, is one of the most important, one of the most powerful phrases we will ever hear and we need to live out. Today's phrase is love self less, love others more. Love self less, love others more. Very fitting phrase, I think, for what we're going through in our world right now, isn't it? Love selfless, love others more. To be honest, if you look at this phrase, if I were to tell you, like I just said that was important, but what if I were to tell you that I believe that this phrase, the essence of this phrase, is the essence of Christianity. That it is the key, it is the essence, it is the heartbeat of God, it is the heartbeat of Jesus, it is the heartbeat of the Bible, that we would love ourselves less and love other people and love God more. What if I were to say that that is the essence? Well, uh, some of you have probably heard at least of this book. It's called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Right? Most of us have heard of it. It's actually sold, I think, somewhere around 50 million copies. It's, in the, it's, it's on most of the top lists of sellers of books in world history. Right? Now, just so that we're clear, it has literally, it holds no candle, and it's not even close to this, which is in the billions. 50 million billions. We can't even track this. So many people have this and have had this in history. The Bible by far, not even close, most sold book, most obtained book of all of history. 
But this book is good too. This book, I would say, is essentially Rick Warren is basically giving all of us a practical guide to how to live and how to think a Christian life. Now, the reason I bring this book up, and, and by the way, just side note, you guys know I love side notes, right? I, I say that a lot. Like, here, a little side note. Okay, side note. If you haven't read this book, I'm going to make a bold statement. You need to. Read it. Listen to it. Get it. Um, besides the Bible and a few other books, this one, I believe, can change your perspective on how you approach life more than just about anything else. Highly recommend it. Really, really good. Rick Warren is the real deal. And he has some powerful things to say. But in the very first chapter, those of you that read, have read this, you already know what I'm about to say. The very first chapter, the very first four words of the book, he sets the tone for what the entire book is all about. You know what his first four words are? Right out of the gate, it's not about you. Yay! How many of you read a book and you're like, yes, let me buy that now? It's not about me. This, I'm going to read it. Man, it makes me feel so good. It doesn't matter if it makes you feel good because it's true. Right? It's not about you. It's not about me either. Right? And, and, and a lot of times when I say it's not about you, you're like, whoa, whoa, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm glad you are. I think so too. But it's still not about you and it's not about me and it's not about anybody else. Right? It's not about you. And the reason I believe he starts his book that way is because he is setting the tone right at the beginning to say the essence of following Jesus is setting ourselves aside and replacing it with Jesus. Love self less. Love others. Love God more. The essence of Christianity. Now, maybe you're here and you're not sure. Let me just tell you, if you read the Bible, if you dig into the Bible, anywhere you go, from cover to cover, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and everywhere in between, what you're going to find is you're going to find a God who is pointing you to set yourself aside and put others first. To put God first, to put himself first, and to put other people first. Let's do some just examples real quick. Ten Commandments. Just raise... How many of you have heard of the Ten Commandments? Anybody in here? Okay, good. We've all heard of the Ten Commandments. It's probably been a while since we've recited them, so let me go through them just really quick, because honestly, we've all heard of the Ten Commandments, but most people, the vast majority of people, cannot rattle off all ten. They'd be able to be like, oh, uh, do not murder, thou shalt not such and such. By the way, why do we say thou shalt not? Whenever we, we talk like normally and then we get into the Ten Commandments and thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Let's just say it like it's supposed to be said. I know I'm digging in. Some of your KJV people, cool. I have no problem with that. Let me just give you the real deal here. No gods before me. First one that God says. Don't make or worship idols. Don't worship anything other than God. Don't misuse the name of God. Don't say God unless you're talking in a reverent tone about God. I hear a lot of people say, oh God. You, you, don't, you don't want to do that right there. OMG. No, 
you're not thinking of God at that point. That's, in, that, 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 that's just like me throwing an emoji up. Nope. Don't misuse the name of God. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. Now, here's what's interesting. All right, If you look at the, the Ten Commandments, the first four... If you think about it, the first four are all about you putting God first. It's setting you aside and putting God first. Right? The first four. The next six commandments are all about you setting yourself aside and putting other people first. Did you notice that? So in other words, if I do the math correctly, four plus six is ten. All ten commandments are all about you setting yourself aside and putting God first or putting others first. The essence of Christianity is love self less, love others, love God more. Jesus kind of took this to another level, didn't he? When he's at the Last Supper, he washed the feet of the disciples, didn't he? Why did he do that? He did that because the lowliest servant in the room is normally the one who does that. And Jesus was the highest ranking guy in the room. And so he gets down, he takes his robe off, and he gets a towel, and he gets on the floor God himself gets on the floor and washes their nasty feet. Why does he do that? Because he says, this is what I want you to do. You're going to set yourself aside and serve. I'm giving you an example to follow. Remember he says that in that moment? I'm giving you an example to follow. There's another moment in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus, he's preaching, he's teaching the people, and I don't know, some of you will probably remember this, but he says, uh, so those of you, if you are on, he's given a hypothetical situation, Jesus is, he says, if you were, let's say, on your way to the temple to make a sacrifice, in modern context, we would say, you're getting your family into the car and you're driving to church. All right? That's the modern context. But Jesus says, you're on the way to the temple, you're ready to make a sacrifice, and on the way, you remember, you have conflict with somebody. You know what Jesus says? Turn around. Turn around. Don't go to the temple. Don't He's not saying don't ever do it. He's just saying don't do it yet. Go back. Reconcile with the person. In other words, set your feelings aside and reconcile with that person. And then, guess what? You will be ready to worship Almighty God. Jesus understood this. Put others first. Love self last. Now, before we get into the meat part of this, I think this is important to say. When we say love self less, love others more, love God more, that does not mean you should devalue yourself. Okay? Seriously. There are probably a couple of groups in the room, right? Some of you, let's be honest, some of you hate yourself. You've never said it out loud. Maybe you have to a couple of close friends. But you can't stand yourself when you look in the mirror. You can't stand who you've become. You can't stand. And, and if you were going to be honest, you, not only do you not want, need to hear love yourself, you've never loved yourself. Let me just speak a little bit, a moment of truth into you. God made you amazing, special, unique. 
You have intrinsic value because your creator gave it to you. There's nobody in this room listening online on the planet that doesn't have intrinsic God-given, creator-given value. You're special, you're unique, you're amazing just the way you are. So love selfless does not mean squash your value. No, no, no. It means simply to continue to elevate everybody else around you. And guess what they need to do to you? They elevate you. The command is not just for one of us, it's for all of us. Now, can we be really real? Some of you love yourself way too much. <laughs> some, of you, some of you know who I'm talking about. You, go, you walk in the mirror and you're like, yeah, yeah. I'm good. I am awesome. Thankfully, God gave me to the planet. I'm a big deal. Right? Let's be honest. Some people have that. I have friends who are like that. Right? I know who they are. Right? And they're like, yeah, we're a big deal. Okay, big deal. <laughs> right? If you're, if you're a big deal, great. You don't have a problem with self-esteem or the fact that you have value. You just have an inflated sense of your value. You are valuable, but not as valuable as you think. Because God has greater things for you to do. So depending on who you are in the room, that's, that's just important to say, right? So now let's move on because let's look at the most perfect example of what we need to become, of who we need to be that I can ever give, and that's Jesus himself, right? Uh, you guys know, if you've been to Northridge for any length of time, I cannot go probably at least three to six months without bringing up this passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorites. I literally cannot get away from it. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's perfect. It shows us who we need to be. All right? So Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. You can go ahead and jump there on your phone or on your Bible if you want to. Philippians chapter 2. But I'm going to read this because it tells us what we're supposed to be doing, what we're supposed to be about. And then, I will get to this in a little bit, then it tells us what Jesus did to show us what we're supposed to do. So it tells us what we're supposed to do. Then it says this is what Jesus did and this is how he did it. So let me start with verses 3 and 4 in Philippians chapter 2. It says, don't be selfish. Love selfless. Don't try to impress others. Love selfless. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Love selfless. Don't look out only for your own interests. Love selfless, but take an interest in others too. Love selfless. Love others more. See, the truth is that, have you ever wondered, have you ever asked yourself, why is Christianity so powerful? Why is it always growing? Why is it always moving? Why is it always expanding? Now, a lot of you would think, well, I, I don't know if it is. It seems like I've read studies that, you know, Christianity here in the United States is kind of, eh, it's kind of ebbs and flows a little bit, but we're not sure if it's really, you know, cranking it out. Well, that to some degree would be true, but if you would look at all, all over the world, Christianity is flying forward in ways that we cannot imagine. Usually, by the way, in the face of intense, terrible persecution. In fact, where there's the most persecution, sometimes that's where Christianity is growing the fastest in other countries. 
It's amazing. But in history, have you ever wondered why does Christianity keep growing? Well, let me give you the answer to that. I have the answer to why Christianity is so powerful. Yes, it's God's power. Yes, it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Yes, all that. But what gives it the power? The power comes from history and what Christians have lived and done in history. So let me give you a couple examples. So if we were to go back to the second century A.D., Roman Empire, think Roman Empire, second century A.D., about 200 years after Jesus died on the cross. Okay, A little bit less than 200 years after he died on the cross. The city of Carthage. The city of Carthage all of a sudden has a major plague, disease, hit the city. And apparently the people had not been maybe exposed to it or whatever the case is, but the plague hit the city hard and people just started getting this disease and it was a very deadly disease and they started you know, dying very, very quickly. And so what happened is fear took over. Fear just started to reign supreme in the city of Carthage. And so people were actually taking their own family members that would catch this disease and throw them into the street, close the door, lock it, so that none of the rest of their family would catch it, and they just left their family members to die in the streets. Pretty awful, terrible stuff. But this is interesting. If you look at records from that time, from when this happened, a couple of the historians write about this, Guess who came in and took care of all the people laying in the streets? Christians. Followers of Jesus were the ones that came into the streets and started caring for the sick and started picking them up, even to the point where they actually took these people into their own homes to care for them. At the risk of their own family. In fact, many Christians died because of it. If you were to go and do a historical study of a whole bunch of countries around the world, I'm not going to list all of them off, but if you went and did a study of the history of a lot of countries around the world, you would find that the first hospitals and the first schools were not started by the government. They were not started by their own people. They were started by Christian missionaries who came in to bring the good news of Jesus to the country, but they knew that they also needed to care for the spiritual, the health, the physical, and the educational needs of the people as well. Some of the first hospitals, some of the first schools in almost any of the countries that you look at were started by Christians. In other words, the power of Christianity is in that we set ourselves aside to serve other people. And when we do that, let's be honest, when you see somebody pushing their way to get to the front of the line, how does it make you feel? Jerk. You get to, you, you, you like, you're ready to fight and throw down. But then when you see somebody say, no, please go ahead. We've got like 10 people. You've only got one. You, you guys go ahead. Please go ahead. Of it. Like, you know, how does that make you feel? You're like, oh, that's so good. Like, that's, that's what I, I need to do that. Yep. The power of following Jesus is when we live like Jesus. Right? Uh, can I be honest with you? I already have been, I know, a couple of times. Right? Can I just be really straight with you? I think a lot of times we as followers of Jesus are far more concerned about our rights and protecting our rights instead of laying down our rights so that we can give other people rights. Rights. 
I know that one hit close to home. Because I've been reading what's going on on social media too. I've had plenty of conversations with people about masks this week, as you can imagine. We tend to be so concerned about our rights that we forget that Jesus said, but I laid down my rights so that you could have yours. I think we need to recapture that. I don't know about you, but this is very practical. We could talk in theory all day long, but I don't know if you've noticed what's going on in Afghanistan. And I just, I'd seriously, I want to ask you a question. This is not to condemn you. This is to ask you the honest question. I'm simply asking the question, have you spent significant time this week praying for the people in Afghanistan? Laid down your busy schedule and your emails and whatever else and stopped and said, God, there are people under threat. They're dying. The Christians over there, by the way, guys, many of them have and or will be meeting Jesus this week because the Taliban want nothing to do with Jesus, and they will kill you as a result. I mean, when people are willing to jump onto airplane, military planes when they're getting ready to take off, just to escape tyranny, when people will throw their babies over a wall, okay, I'm calling things out that we all have watched, we all have seen. Uh, I, that's not a level in the United States, I don't know about you, but it's not something I understand. I have not experienced this, this kind of threat. We need to be praying. We need to be getting on our knees for people that are struggling. We have it really good. We realize that, right? We have it so good. And yet we watch that and say, man, that's awful. And you know what we do? We sit around coffee and we talk about it. I'm not saying sitting around coffee and talking about it is not good. We should, but we should also be praying. We should also be doing something. Did you realize that hundreds of Afghan people, if they're not already here, they will be at Fort McCoy an hour away from us. They are literally, Jesus is bringing them to our doorstep. Central Wisconsin, people that lost everything last week are now going to be in the middle of Wisconsin, an hour away from us. And church, I want to just ask you, what are we going to do about it? How can we set ourselves aside, love ourselves less, and love other people more? We're worried about wearing masks, and I'm telling you, they lost their home and their lives and their country and their language and everything in a day. Simply because they're scared to lose their life. I don't know about you, but most of us, maybe some of you have experienced it. I, I'm not, I'm not going to extrapolate and, and, and assume something, but I have never experienced that. I haven't been under that kind of a threat. I've been made fun of for my faith, but I've never been under threat in my life. Just so you know, our church is going to be reaching out. I actually talked about it with my wife, Laura, this morning. Our church is going to be reaching out to see what we can do for the Afghan people when they arrive, if they haven't arrived already. What does it look like to put others first, to put God first in your life?
See, we need to follow the example of Christ Jesus, right? What did he do for us? He did the exact same. Jesus isn't asking you to do something that he didn't already do, right? He, he, he's not like, you need to set yourself aside and sacrifice your life for somebody else. You need to do that. Jesus already did what we're supposed to do. In fact, let me read the rest of Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. What does it say? It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We need to have the same focus. We need to live the same way, the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. By the way, we get stuck on the word slave in this, in this, um, this, this scripture passage. This is not a slave in terms of we snatched you and forced you into bondage. That's not the word slave here. Do you know what this is translated from? It's translated from the Greek word doulos. The Greek word doulos. Doulos means chosen I volunteered to become your servant, your slave. I am now subservient to you. How can I help you? That's what doulos means. I have Jesus. What Jesus did is Jesus willingly gave up his divinity. And we're about to read that. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He gave up himself for you and for me. And then what did he do? When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now there's a lot of people around the, around the world that do like self-flagellation, right, to try to do what Jesus did. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm not saying that that's terrible and wrong and bad, although we probably have our opinions about it. What I'm saying is how Jesus set his life aside and said, I'm going to use my life to give my life, to serve and give myself to others. Jesus saying, I want you to do that too. See, here's, here's something that we all know, but we never talk about. People in this world are really, really attracted to Jesus. Did you know that? They're really attracted to Jesus. They're really attracted to his life. They believe in, they love what he stands for. But do you know why people don't attach to Jesus? It's because of people who say they follow Jesus, but they don't look like him at all. That's the barrier, isn't it? Let's be honest, that's the barrier. You look at other Christians and you go, I, I don't, uh, I don't, that doesn't look like Jesus. Nope, it doesn't. People are attracted to Jesus. People just aren't attracted to people who say they love Jesus and don't act like Jesus. And so it keeps them from him. So how do people know that you're a follower of Jesus? That's a real question. How do people know? How, how do people in your life, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, your family, how do people know that you follow Jesus, that you love Jesus? How do they know? Can I give you the answer? of how they're supposed to know? Jesus actually gives us the answer in John 13, 35. At the Last Supper, he tells this to the disciples, and he tells this to all of you and me. He says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
your love, your willingness to lay down your life, your willingness to sacrifice for others is what will demonstrate to the world that you are genuine. You actually, you don't want to just go through the motions and have a religion. You want to have a relationship with Jesus and you want other people to have a relationship with Jesus as well. Let me give you an example of this, how powerful this can be. So the year is 361 A.D., Again, I've taken you to the Roman Empire a couple times today, haven't I? Some of you wish I was not a history teacher before I became a pastor, right? That's okay, right? I'm sorry about that, right? Uh, this is God's plan. I don't know, right? So I taught history before this, and now I'm doing the pastor. Now we have to marry them together, right? We merge them together. But let's go to the year 361 AD. At this time in the Roman Empire, Christianity is exploding. I mean taking over the Roman Empire. Most of the emperors were actually followers of Jesus. They were Christians and putting into Christian practices throughout the Roman Empire. And then we hit the year 361 A.D. And in 361 A.D., a new emperor ascends to the throne. His name is Julius. This is not Julius Caesar. That was 400 years before this. Okay? So not Julius Caesar, just Julius. Relationship there, but just Julius. Okay? And Julius, when he came to the throne, when he ascends to the throne, he decides that he wants to squash Christianity and he wants to revive the old Roman religion. You know, and you guys understand the old Roman religion, like Jupiter, Neptune, Apollo, right? All the old gods and goddesses that everybody used to worship, he wants to revive the old religion. And so he, he brings in high priests of the old religion that will you know, help the people learn how to worship these other gods and goddesses again. And he does all this stuff. And then, this is what's interesting. One day, Julius, the emperor of Rome, sits down and writes a letter to his high priest of this old Roman religion. His name is Arsatius. By the way, if you're getting ready to have children, I just gave you a great name. Arsatius. Right? So good. Don't let anybody ever tell you I didn't give you anything. Right? But he writes, Julius sits down and he writes a letter to Arsatius and the reason he writes it is because he's giving instruction to his high priest, Arsatius, on how to revive the old religion. And this is what he says in the middle of that letter. This is very interesting. He says this, and I quote, It is disgraceful when no Jew ever has to beg and the impious Galileans, by the way, the word Galileans, he meant Christians. They just called them Galileans because they were from Galilee, from that area. But you could put in the word Christians. So the impious Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. In other words, it is so obvious, Arsatius, the reason everybody left our old religion is because the Christians are loving people like crazy. They're sacrificing their lives. They're serving the poor. They're helping the sick. They're doing this not just for Christians. They're doing this for everybody. They're doing it way better than we've ever done it. And we wonder why Christianity grew so rapidly. It's because people couldn't help but be drawn to that. They're like, why? Why would you do this? Because Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves me. And I need to do this. This is what I'm called to do. 
In fact, later on in a different part of that, I don't think it's later, maybe earlier in the letter, in another part of the letter, Julius says to Arsatius, he says, if we want our old religion to be revived, we need to do what the Christians are doing. <laughs> we need to live, in other words, like our religion, we want to revive it, but actually it's not that good, and so we need to do what the Christians are doing. We need to give ourselves away. We need to sacrifice our lives if we want people to actually be excited about our religion. We need to be like the Christians. The, the world will know us by our love. The world will know us by our love, by your sacrifice. So here's what I believe. I believe Jesus wants every one of us to set ourselves aside and put God first and put others first. He wants us to elevate everyone around us. You know why I believe he wants us to do that? Because he already did it. And he knows that hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of people will be drawn to that because you know why? Because it's genuine. It's real. People will know if I sacrifice, if I serve, if I get on the floor for somebody and wash their feet. Now, let's, let's be honest. If I walked into a place and I just said, hey, take off your shoes. I'd just like to wash your feet. Well, that's just weird, right? But you understand what I'm saying. If we would really give ourselves to help people in need, people will be drawn to that and they'll realize that Jesus is the one that compels it. And they'll want what we have. But if we go through the motions, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that, including us. But what I believe is that the reason we have a hard time with this is because the stream is flowing against us. You, we understand this, right? The world is always going to naturally push us back to ourselves, right? How do they sell smartphones? They sell them because they say, you need it and you deserve it. Give us $1,500. Actually, we'll just make you pay like $50 a month and then it won't feel so bad. Right? I mean, that, right? The world flows towards selfishness. It's always, if we, if we are not really, really intentional, really working hard, we will be swept with the current. If I were to say, to be honest, I think a lot of times we are. And then there's this other thing, you guys have heard of it, it's called Sin. I don't know about you, but my propensity is sinfulness. My tendency is selfishness. I preach a good game, but I'm sinful just like anybody else. And so there are times when I just want to be selfish. And so there's this flowing. It's where, I don't know about you, but it's like we're constantly, does anybody feel this way? You don't have to raise your hands. But does anybody feel like living for Jesus, sometimes it feels like we're just swimming upstream? Constantly? It's, it's just like, now Jesus is there, right? He's got it. Like, he's helping us. He's like, okay, keep the stroke, elbow up a little bit higher. Yeah, right. Like, he's with us. We're swimming. But I don't know, does anybody else get tired of swimming sometimes? Get tired of fighting the current? I think that that's what the problem is. We get scared. We get tired. We get frustrated about swimming against the current. And Jesus says, I'm here. 
I've got you. Here's the last thing I'll say about this. I can't say this for sure, but here's what I believe. I believe that the vast majority of all of you in here and all of you listening online, maybe I could even go so far possibly to say every single one of you in here, I believe you want your life to matter. I believe you want to live for something greater than yourself. I believe that you want to sacrifice for other people and for God. I, believe, I truly do. I believe that the vast majority, maybe every single person in here and every person watching or listening online, I believe right here, I believe that the vast majority of us, we want to do what Richard Rascola did. We want to do what the people, the Christians in Carthage did and run in when everybody else, when everybody else is running out, we, you want, you, you have the desire to run in, but you see everybody else running and you're like, maybe I should just do what they're doing. But I believe that deep down, you're like, I should run in. I should, I should engage. I should jump in. When you see that person in the store, when you see that person at work, and you know it's obvious they're struggling, and you know you're like, man, I should go over there, and I should ask them how they're doing, but they might be offended, and I'm just a co-worker. You, I believe you want to do that, but you're just scared, or it's hard, or you did it once, and you got burned, and they said, stop, I'm fine, leave me alone, and now you're gun-shy. I believe in this room, I believe we want to do this. Let's be honest, it's just hard. Sometimes. I get tired too, I get it. So I want to leave you with this question. What does it look like in your life? Don't answer this in general. Don't answer this for somebody else. Uh, sometimes we'll talk to our kids and, you know, we'll be going through a, a passage, like a verse of Scripture. I actually just had this conversation with my son Jackson last night. It was awesome. At 11.30 last night. Thank you. Supposed to be in bed, but he got up. We're talking about Jesus. Okay. <laughs> We're good. But we ask this and we say, what are you going to do? Who are you going to be as a result of this? Don't, don't say what you think mom and dad should do or your brother and sister should do or how they should change their sin. Right? We all have ideas about what other people should do. But the question is, what does it look like in your life? What are you going to do? What is God calling you to do in order to put yourself aside and put God first and put others first? In other words, what does it look like for you, for your life, to love self less and love others more? What does that look like for you? Let God tell you what that is. And then can I give you some advice? Whatever God tells you, do it. Do it right away. Because if you hesitate, you'll do what I do. I'll forget. I'll get tired. Unless I lean in right away. Love selfless. Love others more.
Let's pray. Lord, this is not an easy thing to... It's not an easy thing to do just to give our life away. But we literally are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the church. We are the church gathered here today, but now the church is going to go out into a world that is constantly screaming selfish. Get yours now. Don't worry about other people. Worry about yourself. And we're going to face that world in just a few moments. We're literally going to walk out into it. Help us to remember that we are being sent out, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus, that that you died on the cross for us, you became a servant to us so that we would become a servant to others. (laughs) But sometimes we stay on the pedestal that you put us on. We stay propped up by the forgiveness that you gave to us and we use it to serve our own interests. God, forgive us for that. Help us to use the forgiveness of our sins. Help us to use the blessings that we have, the wealth that we have, the jobs that we have, the time that we have, the food that we have, the opportunities that we have to bless those around us, to bless and honor and glorify your name so that people will see when they watch us, when they see how we live, there is no other no other possibility than that they have made Jesus the most important thing in their life and they're running after that. They've set their life aside and they're chasing after you. God, I want to be known for that. I believe the vast majority, maybe even everybody in here wants that. We're just worried. We're just scared. We're just tired of chasing after it. God, help us. Give us the strength and the peace to do it. Help us to be your hands. Help us to be your feet to a world that desperately needs it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.